0: Thank you, David. Evening, everyone. Uh, tonight's paradox, my voice is kind of going, uh, kind of a man flu thing coming on. Uh, but tonight's paradox, uh, as David has kind of really helpfully introduced, is, is all about faithfulness. But let me, uh, let me start, uh, this is part of our paradoxology series, but let me, let me start with a statement and then, then ask a question. But here's the statement. Being faithful or totally committed to something or to someone long term is an extremely positive thing. An extremely positive quality. Whereas unfaithfulness and, and broken commitments are, are incredibly damaging and negative. And, and I'm sure we'd all agree with that. But here's the, here's the question, and, and, I, and I came across this during the week. Does anyone know or kind of want to hazard a guess, and in that lies a cute clue, as to what might be one of the most enduring commitments that many men make during their lifetimes? Okay? Does anybody want to hazard a guess? To their football team, absolutely. <laughs> a- apparently, the... Uh, Apparently, the decision to follow a particular football team is one of the most abiding commitments that many men will make. Uh, mo- most of you know that I support Chelsea, one 0 and actually, and I actually have done for 44 years. I, I started supporting them whenever I was three, uh, and that was a ni- true, and that was in 1971 whenever I was page boy at my cousin's wedding, and for being page boy at my cousin's wedding, she bought me a Chelsea football kit. And the reason that she bought me a Chelsea football kit at that stage in 1971, is that was when they won the FA Cup. And so I have been faithful to Chelsea for almost twice as long as I've been faithful to Glenys. Which is good. I was also reading this week, and this is this maybe a generalisation, but I was also reading this week that men are more likely to be faithful to an unsuccessful football team than to their faithful, loving wives. Here's how one person put it It seems in Congress that we are more likely to be faithful to a name, a badge, and a temporary group of players who couldn't pick us out from the crowd than we are to the wives who we have known and loved and with whom we have exchanged. <laughs> solemn vows I mean it's slightly amusing but it's profoundly tragic (laughs) but as we think about faithfulness and as we think about commitment and as we think about God's faithfulness and as we think about ours I kind of want to stick with this idea and this picture of marriage because the Bible often uses that image to describe God's relationship with his people to describe God's relationship with us, but that immediately kind of raises a question, and it's this, like, why would, why would a faithful God commit himself to people who tend to be rather unfaithful? Why does a faithful God commit himself to people who are prone to wander? It's a good question. It's a great paradox. And as we think about this, we're gonna look at one of the most moving and one of the most confusing and one of the most unsettling stories in in the Bible, a story that illustrates the paradox of a God who is faithful to the unfaithful. Does anyone, Richard threw out the challenge this morning, does anyone wanna suggest whose story we maybe are gonna look at this evening? Hosea, brilliant it's a story of hosea whose kind of short book is tucked away at the back of the old testament if you do want to follow along with us in the pew bibles it's page 900 in those red red bibles now the thing as you're looking that up the thing for hosea is this that this particular paradox it wasn't just an interesting dilemma to kind of try to get his head around this became personal This also became very public. Hosea was a prophet. He he was one of God's spokesmen. And he, he was given a message to communicate to the people of Israel and specifically to the northern kingdom of Israel. This is about 700 years before Jesus. But Hosea didn't simply have a message to share. He was actually given a message to live. And this is where it all gets pretty confusing and unsettling because, in a nutshell, Hosea is called to marry someone who's going to be unfaithful. And then, whenever she is unfaithful, he's to take her back whenever she has kind of done the dirty on him. It's a, it's a tall order, it's a, it's a big ask. But in doing this, God is going to challenge the people about their unfaithfulness to him. Plus, he's going to demonstrate the extent of his faithfulness to them. And as we dig into this, I am aware that that, that aspects of what we're going to look at are going to feel a bit real and, and a bit raw for some. Because the subject of faithfulness and unfaithfulness can stir up some pretty painful thoughts and memories. Because there will be some here, many here maybe, who have experienced betrayal, whether by a friend, or a colleague, or a parent, or a spouse. And when that happens, it hurts. It's like being stabbed in the back. And those kind of stabs in the back of betrayal leave scars. Scars of suspicion and scars of blame and scars of shame. And so I realize that for some people at one level, the issue of faithfulness or unfaithfulness is not easy to consider at all. But please can I encourage you to hang in there as we wrestle with this. Because in a very tangible sense, God understands Where you're at this evening. Because the book of Hosea. Reveals that that God knows. What it's like to be abandoned. God knows how that feels. God has experienced betrayal. God has felt. The pain of being the innocent party. In a relationship that has failed. Or is failing. God. Was a hundred percent. Faithful to his people. People. 100% but in Hosea 2 he describes his beloved Israel as being like an unfaithful wife who to quote went out to look for her lovers and forgot all about me. You see when Israel went off and worshipped other gods what they were doing was committing spiritual adultery. And that, I know, is kind of strong and emotive language, but it does show, it does reveal the importance of right relationship, the importance of true worship. Because whenever we replace God, whenever we go after, whenever we worship other gods, other things, whenever we turn away from God and towards another, whenever we sleep around spiritually... God experiences a level of betrayal and jealousy just like an innocent spouse who's been abandoned for another lover. God understands what it's like to be jilted and rejected by those he loves passionately. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. And therefore, if you're here tonight, and unfaithfulness and betrayal is part of your story. It's part of your past. It's part of your present. Please know that in the midst of your pain, God empathizes. God empathizes. And as you read Hosea, and particularly chapter 2, You discover that God's explicit about the pain he feels. He's explicit about the anguish and the turmoil as a result of Israel's unfaithfulness to him. But let me come at this from another angle. Let me come at this from another side because what if, and the story of Hosea includes uh, these two edges, what if you are the person who has abandoned and betrayed someone? What if it's you? What if it's you? that has betrayed God. Well this story does communicate the terrible emotional impact our unfaithfulness can have on someone else. Doesn't shy away from it. But I don't say that, or I'm not introducing that to kind of heap guilt on anyone to create despair. I say that because although God does want us to feel the impact of our betrayal and our unfaithfulness, he also wants us to know the astonishing generosity of his offer of undeserved and unmerited reconciliation. There is a way back to God, no matter how deeply we have wounded both God and someone else. And that's grace. And we don't always get it. And we don't always understand it. And we don't even always like it. Especially when we sense that grace is being shown to others. So let's look a little closer at this story. At this stage in in the history, as I say, 700 years before Jesus, the people of Israel are, are in the promised land. But although they had heard a very clear warning from God, listen, whenever you get into that land, don't copy the ways of the people who live there. Don't defile yourselves when you get there by worshiping their counterfeit and false gods. But even though God had been clear about that, the Israelites just went ahead and did exactly that. But rather than ditch his people, because of their unfaithfulness, because of their spiritual adultery, rather than walk away from them, rather than chuck the Israelites out, God gives them another chance. And the way he does this is via Hosea, but not just via his words. Instead, it's via his actions, because God asks Hosea to become a walking visual aid, And so he's to go and marry a card-carrying, promiscuous woman. Try try to imagine how this must have felt. I want you to go and marry a promiscuous woman, Hosea. Probably a prostitute. That's certainly what the story implies. She's called Gomer. And I want you to have kids with her. Knowing that in all likelihood... She's going to be unfaithful to you, which is exactly what happens. And it's a shocking request. And just as an aside, there is a message preached in some circles that becoming a Christian will make you happier and healthier and wealthier, etc. Well, as you read the Bible, you don't always get that. For Abraham, for Moses, for Job, for example, the call of God seemed to lead to a lot more hassle and complications. And here we find Hosea, a man of God, a prophet of God, a spokesman of God, called into a marriage that is going to be a complete nightmare. I'm not sure any of those characters would suggest that life with God is a guaranteed easy option. Well, if we go back to the story, is Israel's been playing the field... Their affections, their worship, it's all over the place. And it's really important that we allow their story to speak into our lives because our affections and our worship are constantly courted by alternatives to God. Spiritual adultery is a persistent temptation and threat. Even secular authors understand the power of other gods in everyday life. Listen to how one American novelist puts it. I came across this during the week. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of god to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. Well, the Israelites have been seduced by other gods and and they've caved in. And so God comes along and he says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer. And he does that, which is a strange command. But the key thing to note at this point in the story is Hosea's immediate obedience. He's faithful to God despite the bizarre nature of God's command and the personal sacrifice involved. And again, I don't want to go off on too big a tangent, but I was thinking about this during the week. It strikes me that a lot of God's commands to us fall into a similar category. They are bizarre. They are nonsensical. And they cost us. And so, for example... Love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Is that not bizarre? Is that not strange? Is that not incredibly costly? Forgive others when they sin against you. Humble yourself and consider others better than yourself. Is that not bizarre? Turn the other cheek. And we could go on and we could go on. It seems to be characteristic of the commands of God. This is what it involves following Jesus. Commands and a call to live a whole other way. Well, Hosea receives this call and he marries Gomer and they have kids, but even the kids' names indicate that things are not gonna go well. The first kid is named Jezreel, and we read in the text that he's named Jezreel after the scene of a major massacre. Second kid, Lo-Ruhumah, which literally means, according to the text, what a name for a kid. It literally means not loved. Like, he's gonna have a few identity or she's gonna have a few identity problems. lo Ame name your third kid, Luami, which translates again, according to the text, not my people. And you can imagine that people around whenever, do you know, whenever the announcement slide went up about the, the name that they've given their kid, people must have thought, Jose has lost it. Chris Candia suggests that it would be like naming your three kids today, faithless, hopeless, and joyless. And as you read on into chapter three, you discover that, that Gomer does indeed commit adultery and in a sense, there's no surprise. But not, not only does she commit adultery, it seems that she gets herself into some kind of, and there's, there's different perspectives in this, but it seems that she gets herself into some kind of financial difficulties. And so what is Hosea's response to his own faithful wife? He could have pressed charges because a married woman who commits adultery was deemed guilty in the eyes of the law. But you know what Hosea does? He pays up. He bails her out. He takes her back. He accepts her. He loves her. He remains faithful to the blatantly unfaithful. And why does he do that? Well, yes, partly because he was being obedient to God, but primarily because he was wanting or he was getting the opportunity to reflect God's heart. Towards his adulterous partner. He was able to visually. Live out. How God was going to deal with Israel. Buying you back. Welcoming you home. Accepting you. And being faithful to you. Even though you've been blatantly unfaithful to me. And this must have been hard in Hosea. But. Again, try to imagine what this must have been like for this man. And as I say, what must have made it even harder was the fact that it was was being played out in full public view. Hosea's dirty linen was being washed in front of everyone. Why? To help everyone grasp how God feels about their spiritual idolatry. Hosea was willing to take Gomer back. And God was. And God is willing to take people back whenever they wandered. But people must have looked on at Hosea's situation. And they must have wondered. Like what were you at Hosea? Why were you even associating with a promiscuous woman like that? Never mind marrying her. Surely you could have done better Hosea. But you know, if they thought that, then maybe that was the point. Maybe they were starting to get it because they could also ask God the exact same question. Like, why did God pick such a lousy nation to be his people? Why did God choose them, given their propensity to wander and mess up? Why, God? You could have done so much better. And as you read the Old Testament, you discover that God often enters into relationship with those who aren't always faithful to him. And it begs the question, God, are you jinxed? Are you unwise or are you a poor judge of character when it comes to choosing partners? Or is there something more going on? Something deeper? Let me read Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 9. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. It's because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand. And he redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the king, the pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Do you know there was nothing about Israel that warranted or deserved to be loved by God? Absolutely nothing. And God knew they were going to let him down, but you know something? He chose them anyway, and he loved them because he loved them. They were flawed, they were fickle, but they were loved. And God was faithful. And via Hosea's and Gomer's story, God was wanting to make that clear to the people of Israel at this time in their history. And God wants to make it clear to us. And if you're here tonight and and you recognize or you recognize that you have wandered or you are wandering That you have become compromised in your relationship with God. That there are other lovers who are soliciting your affection and your attention. Then please know that God, like Hosea, remains faithful to you. Even when you're unfaithful to him. even when you're unfaithful to him. And like Hosea, God invites you back. He invites you home. Listen to these moving words of God from Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, but the more they were called, get this, the more they were called, the more they went away from me. And they sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. But you know, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. It was me who took him by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. And I led them, and I led them with cords of human kindness. I led them, it says here, God says here, with ties of love. Even though they kept walking away from me, even though they kept being unfaithful to me, I held them. I led them with ties of love. To them, I was like the one who lifts a little child. See, God was totally committed to his people. Right from the word go. And whenever his people fell down, he was there to pick them up. And in Hosea, we see this picture of a God who loves his people passionately. A God who calls out to them again and again, please come home, please put things right, please reconnect, please reestablish relationship with me. Return, O Israel, this is what God says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. And say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously. We will never say again, our gods to what we have in our hands. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. And the challenge, and our challenge is this this evening. Will we return To relationship, whenever we wander, whenever we are unfaithful, because as Dave prayed at the very beginning, I will guarantee you that many of us could could echo that prayer of saying, "God, please forgive me for those times this week where I've been unfaithful to you." And the question is, as we sit here this evening, are we going to return into those open arms? Are we going to seek that forgiveness? Are we going to come before God? Are we going to fall before God and say, God, I do get it wrong. I do wonder. I do sleep around, spiritually speaking. I do give my affection and all sorts of other things. You're not number one. I don't love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I long to, I want to, but there's so many times I don't. And yet, God, you remain faithful to me. And you invite me home. And the tragedy for Israel, at least at this point in their history, is this. That despite God's long-suffering faithfulness, despite his wide open arms, his call was ignored. And so eventually, as we all know, the Israelites get ejected from the promised land and they get taken into exile. You see, God's patience, and we saw this in the Joshua paradox, God's patience is incredibly long incredibly long. But if people are sufficiently determined to do their own thing, if they they are determined to sleep around, if they are determined to ignore him, then we've got to accept that there's going to come a point in time when we're going to be left to face the consequences. Because you see, God's faithfulness to us includes being faithful to our freedom of choice. If we want to live Without God, if we want to live out of relationship with God, then we will. God tried every way he could to show the Israelites what they were doing to to him. Not only what they were doing to him, but what they were doing to themselves. And he did this via Hosea's graphic and dramatic actions. But they threw his love and they threw his patience and they threw his faithfulness back in his face. And we're not entirely sure how Hosea and Gomer's story ends. But through it, God spoke. And because we believe that God's word, as again, David read at the very start, because we believe God's word is not bound, God's word still speaks. And so God is faithful to the unfaithful. It's a paradox. And so here's my prayer for us. That while we do still have the chance, and while God's patience does continue, that we will pursue wholehearted devotion. We will pursue wholehearted worship rather than allow ourselves to be seduced by other lovers. And let's honor our faithful God with lives of obedience just like Hosea. And no, and, and this is the incredible thing. No, this is grace. That despite our unfaithfulness, God still longs to forgive and welcome us back into his open arms. And Hosea's book ends with a challenge. And I just want to read the last verse of Hosea because it's worth repeating and just leaving. It asks us, who is ways, Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. Because you see, the ways of the Lord are right. And the righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. And so are we going to walk back into God's arms if necessary? Are we going to continue to kind of stumble our way through?